Welcome back, everybody. Long time no see or here, for a matter of fact. We are back again with a day two summary of what happened on free agency for the New York Jets. Another big day. Exciting, right, Usain? Uh, pumped. Love it. Absolutely pumped. Just, did a, just had some really good signings today as well. Now, we're going we're gonna to start off uh, the, the podcast by just going over the first signing of the day. And that's DJ Reed from the, from the Seattle Seahawks. Usain, what, what, were your, what were your thoughts on that signing? I have a pretty decent amount of thoughts on the sign because I actually was um I read up on DJ Reed a little bit this morning when it came out that it was like the Jets were on him and Gilmore. Um, the one thing, uh, a few things I saw with DJ Reed is that he's very undersized. He's five nine, but he plays outside. He's specifically played outside, so I don't have a problem with that. Before I was like oh, five nine, he's a slot guy, and I kind of overlooked him, but. He was drafted by Sala in San Francisco, went to Seattle and started there. One thing I noticed about him is that he was pretty insistent on playing the right side at, at corner. That's where he wanted to be. And something very interesting is Bryce Hall plays the left side. So I think he has that right side locked up. The one, not even on his size, but the one thing I don't love about him, he's not much of a ball hawk, not a turnover forcer. Yeah, he didn't generate a whole lot of turnovers, but what I, my favorite part of DJ Reed and his game is that he is such a dog. He's he's got that dog mentality that oh, absolutely that Jamal Adams was preaching a couple of years ago to McHagan that they needed more of on the Jets, even though he's in Seattle at this point. Which it's pretty funny because Jamal Adams went from laying out DJ Reed to laying out a different starting corner on the Seattle defense. Yeah, DJ Reed, um, he's uh, like is one of those scenarios where he's not a ball hawk at corner but he's going to sit back there. He's going to be really smart and not make mistakes. And that's still an upgrade. So I'm still Absolutely. obviously a very big fan of the signing. Like it's a great signing because you know what? Yesterday, if you noticed the two guys who signed were a bit on the older side, DJ Reed's 26 and Jordan Whitehead's turning 25 soon. Two yes. really young signings. We'll have to see the structure of the contract. He got three years, $33 million, which I also think considering some of the other contracts that were given out to the corners, that's a pretty good one. I'm kind of surprised that the the Jets were were so uh, publicly known to be going after Stephon Gilmore for for much of today until DJ Reed was signed and also the day before. So I'm kind of curious what are the, what are the landing spots are there for Stephon Gilmore? Really, it's from what's reported, it's the Raiders that's left. In all honesty, uh, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be somebody else. Gilmore is still a really good corner. I think this was a big Robert Sala move. He was there when they drafted him, right? So. I- I think Salah definitely has his handprints all over this move. I mean, Ulbrich too, at at, at least, because he, him and Salah, they, I don't know if they both crossed paths in Seattle at the same time as DJ Reed, but. Uh, they crossed paths. He crossed paths with DJ Reed in San Francisco. DJ Reed was drafted by the 49ers, played there for two years, got cut, went to Seattle, and then won the starting job. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, yeah, so, that's even, that, that makes more sense then. But Robert, Robert Stahl was a defensive coordinator in San Francisco when he got drafted by San Francisco. Right. But so a, a lot of what I like about DJ Reed, is just, he, he, I like he, how he has a well-rounded game in terms of both, you know, in coverage, 
and as well as run support because he, he, you know, he is small in stature, but he plays big. Like you said, he's got a dog mentality. He's not afraid to come down and hit and he doesn't miss a whole lot of tackles either. And something the Jets struggled a whole lot with mostly in their linebacker room as opposed to their corners. But it still was a was an issue last year with the Jets. But he is going to be able to to make the stops needed and get rid of those yards after contact that we've been giving up so much on defense. And hopefully this, this leads to more stops. Hopefully this leads to Zach Wilson getting the ball in his hands more. And hopefully it leads to more points. I was waiting for you to mention DJ Reed's run defense. Were you now? I knew it was, was going to come up with you. Of course, Although, I'm big well, in run defense. With today's game, so many teams are, are stressing the outside perimeter of the defense and trying to stress the corners and safeties to come up and make tackles on receivers, uh, running backs. And it's even more important these days. Now, one more thing I do want to say about Reed is that the last two years, he was great as a top 15 corner by PFF in both seasons. But the one thing with that is that he was elite in zone coverage, but a bit of, he struggled in man. And it was kind of, it's weird because it's a little contradictory to what we were talking about last night. Right. They, they were mentioning so much, especially with the, with the Jets beat riders that the Jets brass really wants to invest in this, in a core, uh, in a CB one for the defense who can hold up and man coverage. Cause we saw all too much last season that the Jets, once it got to third down, this is the money down where all cornerbacks make their money. And if you can, if you can successfully defend on third down, you get the bag in the NFL. The Jets, they could not defend it. And they looked good on first and second down, even on passing plays. But once it got the third down, they couldn't get it. I think Bryce Hall, he, I'm pretty sure the passer rating allowed by him on third down was over 100. Uh, DJ Bienemy uh, brought up that stat on, on, uh, on one of the podcasts. And, and the same thing with Eccles. He was over uh, 100 passer rating allowed as well on third downs. And that's, that's just simply not good enough. So I really like this DJ Reed addition to the room. Brings a dog mentality. And... I just want to. I just want to see this defense play with the dog mentality, like I think they could. I think DJ Reed is a really good CB two, and I also think that's kind of what Bryce Hall is. So I'd like to make the point that if the board breaks a certain way, this doesn't preclude the Jets from taking Ahmad Gardner, but it also doesn't force him into a box where one of the first forty picks has to be a, a corner. You know, if they didn't sign DJ Reed, something in the top thirty-eight had to be a corner. Now it's like, okay, you know, maybe you love the receivers in round two and Gardner somehow falls to 10. You can pull the trigger on that if you really want, because this signing doesn't stop you from doing that, but it allows you to maybe push it off for later if you really want to. Hussein, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say, I think, I think the Jets really wouldn't consider Sauce Gardner at four, regardless of if, if they're able to sign a corner in free agency or not. But when you get the 10, that's open season at that point. You could take Sauce Gardner and not feel bad about yourself whatsoever. And even if you didn't make a signing at corner, that's even better if that happens because you had a premier uh, corner skill position player fall to you at number 10, which nobody thought would happen, especially after the combine that he had running a four five one coming in with 33 and whatever inch arms and, and all that. He just, Sauce Gardner is a physical specimen, but before I get too off track talking about him, uh, I like what Joe Douglas has done. I've said this like 10 times in the, in the last two days is that he spread around the wealth to a lot of different positions of need and every move he made, it just increases his ability to be flexible on draft day. So he can actually default 
to the best player available that's on his board without feeling guilty about it and not dressing uh, any of the top needs left on this team. So he's saying, I have a really intriguing question for you before we either close up on DJ Reed and move on or we uh, move on. But are you ready for the question? Hit me. If there is one thing that you can change about this offseason so far in free agency that Joe Douglas has not been able to close the deal on, what would it be? Well, it's tough. Okay. Um, I personally think, um, let's see. I mean, okay, this might be a bit unpopular, but I would still sign Lake and Tomlinson. I loved him. But looking at the deal that, like, say, like James Daniel got, it feels like maybe, like, be overpaid a little bit for him. I don't think we really truly overpaid for him. But James Daniels is a guy that we were talking about a lot. A lot of people are talking about a lot as a Jets target. And I think he got like three years, $24 million from, from the Steelers. Right. Which, so, in, I mean, when you compare those contracts, it's, it's really only a two to three million difference annually per year. Uh, it's five. It doesn't, five? Oh, wait, I thought, got, yes, you're, you're right. You are correct. I thought that's I, a I big was confusing. difference. I was confusing the DJ Reed contract with Lincoln Tomlinson's by accident. That's a big difference, right? 13 it to is, 8. It is a big difference. But I also J- want to add that I think James Daniels is not as far ahead as a, as a lineman as, J- uh, as Lincoln Tomlinson is. I, I do really do believe that Lincoln Tomlinson is the better offensive lineman at this point. Not Well, everyone's <clears throat> saying James Daniels so young. He's great for his own blocking scheme. Everyone has him projecting out to be a above average uh, starting guard in the NFL, which he definitely can be at this point. He's probably more closer to the average, but I think Lincoln Tomlinson is a lot further ahead at this point in his career. That, and, and I think that justifies the overpay. And, and in all honesty, I think the Jets really had to sweeten the pot just to make sure that he came to this organization because obviously one, it was a huge need. Number two, it was it was such a, a dire move to open up the first two picks of their draft that he had to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like disagreeing with you. Like I still would have done it. Like I said, it's just you put me to kind of a pickle saying, what would you change? Because there's not much I would have changed. I can give you one move that I would do right now if I was Joe Douglas. However, that he hasn't done yet. He still could do. So I don't want to consider like a change, you know? Right. It's cut, kind of McGovern. And use that savings and throw on two to three more million a year and get JC Treader. Now, that would be when you really start cooking with with gas with this offensive That's, line. That would be fun because now you're like, yes, okay, fine. You're like talking, oh, 12 million for JC Treader. It's all of our cap space. So you cut McGovern. Now, all of a sudden, you're only using really three million. So that's something that I would have done, honestly, five minutes after he was released. Cleveland runs a wide wide zone run blocking scheme. He's just once again, he's a president of NFLPA. You know what that means? Top tier human being who stands up for other guys in the NFL. He's a great guy, great locker room guy. He's a smart center. Like I, I would have done this this morning, realistically. I agree in all honesty. Um, because you take the Jets offensive line and then you make them really scary. It'd be fun for us to watch, but it'd be very scary for other teams to go up against that offensive line. It would be probably shades of 2009 and 10 with, with the offensive line that you, we you had in those JC, years. You add J.C. Treader to this offensive line. Like, McGovern's good, but he's not like a bully. J.C. Treader is a violent bully. 
all of a sudden you have Mikai Beckton, you have Vera Tucker, you have, you know, Thomas and Treader. This is a violent offensive line. It's not just going to win. It's going to punch you in the mouth every single play. Like, I would have, I would love to see that. And we wouldn't have to watch Zach Wilson play with a dirty jersey or ripped on uh, undershirts or sleeves or anymore, thankfully. So He'd be that kept would be a huge very positive. Clean. He'd be kept very clean. JC Treader, if you want to say, like, I don't want, I didn't want to count it as a something I would change because it hasn't happened yet. You know, like, Treader hasn't signed anywhere, but it's something I would do right now if possible. I, I, I think if the Jets were able to lock, lock down Treader and release Connor McGovern, I would this this would probably be the best free agency period I've ever witnessed as a Jets fan. If oh, they can 100%. pull it off. 1000%. And I'm not and I'm not saying that to overreact. I tend to be a more straight-headed level level-minded Jets fan. I'm I don't really get biased all that much, but man, it would be perfect. It Absolutely. really would. I, I, it's just, I can't articulate enough that that is like peak offensive line right there. But before we get too crazy with a lot of the hypotheticals, I think it's time to move on to the next free agent that Joe Douglas was able to lock down. And that being former Tampa Bay safety, Jordan Whitehead, who happens to be cousins with Darrell Rivas and actually attended his draft party in, I think it was 2007, 2008. Yep, he also... He also went to Pitt. Yeah. So, listen, I, th- I think Darrell Rivas signs off on this on this addition to the New York Jets. So, if Darrell Rivas signs off, then uh, by process of elimination, I also sign off. And that's honestly really all I have to say at this point. Hussein, I think you could take it away. Okay, I got a lot of numbers for you guys, all right? So, somebody think about Jordan Whitehead is, um A, he does struggle in coverage, specifically man. Um, once again, you put him in zone, he plays pretty well, but he's a run defender. He's a thumper. That's what he is. He's an in-the-box safety. Um, now, this is uh, – but he has played uh, really everywhere. His um, numbers, he lined up in the box about 37% of the time, deep safety about 28, slot 21. So he's kind of lined up everywhere, but primarily a box safety, but with the ability to play in the middle of the field as well. And something I like came to realize with like all of this Marcus Williams interest was that Marcus Williams is a true center field safety. I think the Jets want to put Joiner in that spot as well this season in center field. So, and I also think draft wise, this is a stronger draft in the safety class for guys who are more more so true center field safeties. So I think that also matters. Um, I really like Whitehead, but once again, it's not a uh, he has like two force fumbles and two interceptions. I think each of the last two years, it's not a um, turnover machine guy in the secondary, but you're not really going to find those guys as strong safety. But a big thing with safeties is if you don't notice them, they're doing their job. You don't really notice Jordan Whitehead. That, I love the, that point that you brought up because we were really able to spot out how the safeties were playing as Jets fans last year. And that was definitely not a good thing especially when it comes down to, I don't even remember who the safety was that gave up the touchdown to Robbie Anderson in week one. Shedrick Redwine, something like that. Redwine, what's his, I can't yeah. remember his first name. No, you are right, actually. It's just, we can't have nobody's playing in the, in, in the back of our defense. And I like the point that you brought up with Marcus Joyner, who's going to be really taking on that center field role. And 
I think the way that Joe Douglas uh, maneuvered himself in this in the safety market with in terms of re-signing LaMarcus Joyner and adding Jordan Whitehead is that not only did he add a cost-effective, uh, competent starter as a box safety who has experience moving around the defense and a Todd Bowles defense that loves to move people around. I mean, we saw Vita Vea at edge rusher for, 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 you know, I mean, come on. Like, so he, he's going to be moving around a lot in this defense as well. And LaMarcus Joyner, he's a center fielder. He's not really a box safety at his size. So just seeing that he already made an addition to someone that can play that deep center field role and uh, roaming in coverage. And he came out and signed someone like Jordan Whitehead. I think that immediate plan has got to be, and I've said this multiple times already on this podcast, Hussein has also said this multiple times on this podcast is that the draft needs to be the end goal to get your center fielder to at least let him sit on the bench and develop or rotate in with Marcus Joyner, or since the NFL is heading this way, run three safety tight. End, uh, wow. Three safety sets. He sets. So with that being said, you get a lot of the athletes on the field. A lot of the, a lot of these players are fast and they have the sideline to sideline speed. They can chase people down a tackle. That third safety, he's going to operate as a pseudo linebacker. So getting speed at that position is really important. So 10 out of 10 with how I think Joe Douglas handled this. Obviously, Marcus Williams was was the big uh, target that um, everyone was going crazy about. I, I really hate to interrupt you. The Ravens have signed Morgan Moses three years, $15 million. Oh, wow. That's not bad at all. That's that's pretty much on par with what he got with the Jets with that $5 million annually, yeah. give or take. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Just need to get it out. Continue. No, no, that's okay. I mean, hey, he, he did a great job for the Jets and uh, all all the best wishes to him and his, his future career. But, you know. I just he, wish he re- we could have brought him back. I, I also wish we could have brought him back. I'm a little concerned about the the tackle depth that we have currently at this time, given Becton that really has no insurance plan. I hope Joe Douglas can solve that somewhere in the draft at, at some point. Um, but I I lost my track of where I was talking about the scene. You're talking about Whitehead. I don't know if you got what you're saying. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I mean, just going back to Jordan Whitehead, I just I really like how he was able to pair with the cost effective uh, solution and getting a strong safety, which are notoriously cheaper on the free agent market compared to 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 the free safeties. So it's all about cost effective uh, 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 strategies in free agency and in filling out the roster, like we've said a hundred million times at this point. So I really, I really like how the safety class turned out. And I just hope that we can get, find that center fielder in, in the draft. And if not LaMarcus Joyner and Ashton Davis will have to hold down the four for one more year until Joe Douglas can have one more off season to address it. So once uh, a few things I wanted to mention, one, that contract is downright steel. Absolutely. It was eight or seven million a year. Seven million a year. He was just about to turn 25. I thought he was going to get like three. He's similar to Xavier Woods, at least 330, maybe even 340 because he's worth that much money. So steal the contract. Now I want to mention something else to you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed this. See, um, Jordan Whitehead plays for the Buccaneers. They just won a Super Bowl two years ago. CJ Ozama plays for the Bengals. They just lost in the Super Bowl this year. Lakin Tomlinson started at guard when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. DJ Reed was on the 49ers roster when they went to the Super Bowl. Do you see a strategy being copied from a team that just recently went to the Super Bowl? 
there's they're going after guys who have that playoff experience who knows what it's like to win and what it takes to win bingo and that's exactly what the what the what the Bengals did this past offseason when they went out and got a Trey Henderson from the Saints, when they went out and got a Mike Hilton from the Steelers, they went yeah. out and got an Eli Apple from the Saints again, who got toasted a lot in the playoffs. But whether a lot of fans, especially Giants fans, like it or not, he was an impact starter on that defense. So you can, they're you can not see. just signing veterans. They're not just signing good veterans, they're signing good veterans who know how to win and what it takes to win in the NFL and make the playoff runs. And that matters, especially when you have a very young team. Absolutely. And I just want to say, I just want to make it even more simple than what you just said. The Jets are just signing winners. Period. Period. End of story. Like, that's it. Nothing else. But I, I do want to bring up one point. I'm, I am back looking at our notes from the mock offseason episode because I just want to compare it to what, what the market value that we had on uh, Jordan Whitehead was. Which actually, it looks like we'd even have him on the strong safeties, which... I think that might have been an issue with the website that we were going off of that they didn't yeah. have all the free agents listed. Yeah. And it's funny enough, but at corner, we didn't have DJ Reed listed as a as an option either. No, we didn't. So we didn't. I mean, I think I think it could have been a lot different if we had those players listed out on our um uh, side, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, whether whether it would have tipped the scale uh for us signing um uh, Jordan Whitehead over someone like J. Ron Curse. I don't know. Uh, we really won't know the answer. We're probably biased if we tell you an answer now. Honestly, I would have thought that Whitehead would cost so much more than Curse that I would have gone with Curse. I thought if you would have got Whitehead for seven million, I would have said do it now. Well, here, here's a good question though. Curse hasn't Curse hasn't signed yet, right? I'm pretty sure he hasn't. Yeah. No, he hasn't. And if Jordan Whitehead got seven million, I would I would assume that J. Ron Curse's ceiling is at seven million, which. I, w- I do want to pat ourselves on the back that we had his market value at 7 million on the uh, mock off season. So we did a good job there. You know, it's not going to be perfect everywhere else, but at least we had one hit. So one thing I do want to mention are some potential draft targets and where they would go for the set for the second safety spot. Obviously we have Kyle Hamilton, not talking about him right now in the second round guys who can play both middle and in the box, we have Brisker from Penn State, Daxton Hill from Michigan, and Jalen Petrie from Baylor. And then on round three or round four, even, we're looking at guys like Roan McKinley from Oregon. Um, he is a true ball hawk in the secondary playing free safety. Kirby Joseph from Illinois, also a true ball hawk playing center field. Those are, guys, those are two guys that I really like a lot because they have a big emphasis with our two secondary signings. Like, yes, they're solid players. They don't have first turnovers. Those would be two guys who have a history of forcing turnovers in college could sit behind Joyner for some part of the year and come in and maybe just keep doing what you did in college in NFL and just be around the football. Yeah. I think the one huge thing missing from this defensive backfield is just someone who could, who could generate turnovers. And I, I like Dax Hill a lot. I think he has incredible range and I'm not going to say anything further just because I am horrible at evaluating safeties. I usually leave that up to Hussein since he was also a safety. Fun fact in high school. Fun fact. Oh, I also forgot about Louis Sign from Georgia, who I honestly probably like the most out of all those guys. I will never know, know how to say his name correctly until the, until, I think until it's the sign, commentators like, say his name. Sign, sign. Like sign, cosine, sign. I've heard sign, seen, 
kine. I've heard all variations. Sure I have still no idea. But, you know, I'm pretty sure I've said that exact same thing on this podcast uh, already. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But in terms of players that will be targeted in the draft, something that's been floated around as a rumor uh, before we wrap up is that the Jets are going to uh, I'll rephrase actually the Jets are it wouldn't be shocking if the Jets were to target an, an interior defensive lineman in the second round and I was in one of the Twitter spaces Legere Duzable said that Damien Woody said that Connor Rogers also said that so I'm very curious to saying what your take would be if the Jets were to select an interior defensive lineman somewhere in the second round, maybe even the third round. Um, my take on that would be I would be the hugest fan if you got an edge at four. If you didn't get an edge at four, then yes, because you have to keep John Franklin Myers on the edge position, and we know how much they rotate inside. Um, realistically, I would target interior def- defensive line in the draft, just not that early, because, yes, they do rotate, but say if you get Jermaine Johnson at four and you have Lawson and Johnson on the outside, on passing downs, for example, then you have John Franklin, Myers, Quinn Williams, and Sheldon Rankins inside to rotate around on passing downs. And you get like a true run stuffer who can play the first two downs next to, say, Quinn Williams. So there's a lot of ways to go with that. That's how I would go about it. I wouldn't take one that early. I would have to agree with that. I would prefer if they really wanted to take an interior defensive lineman that they felt good about. I would prefer it be at minimum third round and after. I don't think it's very difficult to find a, a three technique defensive tackle who can stop the run in the draft. Uh, I think those are, I think those are quite abundant. I think uh, the jets can use a player like that taken in the third, fourth, even well into day three of the draft. And they could, they could uh, utilize him on early downs when, when John Franklin Myers or Sheldon Rankins needs a breather after a third down. Uh, but I do think it is an important aspect that needs to be addressed uh, on this team just because, listen, we all we all watched the Jets run defense. It wasn't good. Uh, if the Jets were to draft a Jermaine Johnson, he is excellent against the run. He's got heavy hands. He can set the edge. I like that. Carl Lawson, uh, from what I remember uh, hearing when he was first signed by the Jets last offseason, he's kind of average against the run. He's nothing special. <laughs> Uh, but you're gonna you're gonna want to have Carlos on the field regardless. But when it comes to the interior, we all know Quinn Williams is an elite run defender. So uh, I'll move on from that point. But a lot of a lot of people do need to be reminded that Sheldon Rankins isn't the best run defender. He doesn't have a great he doesn't have a great bull rush uh, to really collapse the interior of uh, of the offensive line. He really makes his money as a pass rushing defensive tackle, and we saw that a lot this past year. So. I think I think some people are forgetting uh, he, he was an impact player for us a couple of years ago, but Kyle Phillips, he, he does work on an even front. He does have an elite run stuffing numbers. Honestly, I would be OK with trotting him out there on early downs opposite Quinn Williams if we had to let JFM come out for a breather uh, on early downs to stop the run and focus on interior defensive line next offseason. I, I would I would rather kick the can down the road at this point. I agree. Now, before we uh, end this, I have one rumor I've heard today that I want to ask you about. Shoot. Apparently, some people are saying that Iguanu is not completely out of the conversation at four. What would your thoughts be if that were the pick? You know, that was the other rumor. I was, li- I was actually listening to these rumors 
on my lunch break and it got me thinking for a second because listen, Mikai Becton's issues don't just magically disappear. His concerns don't magically disappear. You know, the Jets have made it abundantly clear throughout this past season, this off season, and even the off season prior to last year that they are not happy with what Mikai Becton has been doing thus far as in his career from what this present coaching staff has seen at least. So given all of that, I don't think it is optimal still to use a top five pick on someone who won't start, especially if Becton is at least healthy week one. It's not a good allocation of resources. If you really want to get Mikai Becton some insurance at this point, I think it's just more beneficial to look for a swing tackle and sign them. And I'm not talking uh, a top tier Morgan Moses. I'd have to look at who's available, but I'm just looking at a, at a standard backup swing tackle who can come in and, and fill in and at least look competent out there. I would, I I would not take him at four personally. I have one follow-up question. Say you do take him at four, Iguanu, and the Bengals call an offer pick 30 from Mikai Becton. All right, so. I dropped the bomb on you. you see, there, there's, there is a lot to unpack here because one thing that you have to think about before you really entertain any Mikai Becton trade talks is what is going to be your asking price, right? So first of all, if they, if they offer the pick 30 in this draft, right? Now, think of it like this. Uh, Mikai Becton has played in 15 games so far in his professional career, counting his rookie season and his second season. Okay. Mikai Becton's issue thus far in his career is, one, his ability to stay healthy, and two, his motivation. And his weight plays into his motivation as well. Now, if you're the Jets organization, you have to, you have to analyze at least how confident you feel that you can get Mikai Becton's head right, as well as keep him healthy. Now, we don't have a Greg Van Roten on the offensive line just getting steamrolled into the back of our offensive lineman's legs, injuring them at, at this point anymore. So, with that said. If, if the Bengals offered pick 30, it's a, it's, I feel like it's going to have to be a hard no. Okay. And I'm not saying, even hard, if they take, and I'm not saying hard no. Even if they take Iguanu. Hold on. This is, I'm not, I'm not even saying hard no is in the fact that I definitely wouldn't. I'm saying hard no in the fact that I would have trouble. I have trouble saying no outright because I am tempted. But I think people fail to realize is that. Iki Iguanu is the same kind of tackle as Becton, as in the fact that they are both well over 6'5". They are both well over 330, 340 pounds. I think 330 is close to a normal size for a tackle, isn't it? Well, the average is really 330. If you're over 335, 340, that you're on the heavy side for a tackle. But a lot of people are forgetting that a lot of the issues that Mikai Beckman has had thus far, aside putting all the motivation questions aside, it's very possible Iki Iquanu has those issues himself as well. So I don't know if I see the, the advantage 
of taking someone that yes, has had issues in the NFL so far, but he has also flashed an elite level while he has played to trade him for not only a back of the uh, back of the first round pick, but to also take Iki Ikuanu, who is a player who will also potentially could have the same issues. Mikai Beckton has had thus far. I don't um, know if can I, I can really get on board with that. Can I interject? Um, Ike McGuanu is 6'4 and 310 pounds at the combine. So That's he's not a different story. He's not a weight guy. He's not considered a weight issue guy. Beckton came into the combine at 365. Who am I thinking of then that came in so huge? It's not Jordan Davis. I, it, whatever. Um, the it, got the guy from Michigan, not Michigan, Minnesota, Daniel Falali. He's seven, he's maybe, six, seven. Maybe, yeah, he's six seven. He's huge. He's a mountain. It, but there's there's hasn't been that problem with Iguanu. And he has all the um the 40 yard dash, 10 yard split, vertical jump, broad jump, all above average for offensive tackles, percentile wise. Okay. Thank that's you. Fair. Mock, thank you, mock, thank you, mock draftables. You're incredible. All right, so I stand corrected in that case. So my whole previous <laughs> argument kind of goes out the window in that case. Uh, I'm so sorry I let you go on. I, I had to look it up. I, I feel like you should at least stop me a lot earlier so I didn't get get a roll going. Um, Because now I, I have to completely I, back myself out and have to re- re-figure out my my footing. Um, But so sorry. It, it is an intriguing question. As a player, I trust me, I like Iguanu a lot. To me, he's a guard. Um, he has some, he has ability in my opinion to, to slide out the tackle. I don't know if he is a level of tackle where I would be able to trust him out on an Island, uh, pass blocking against some of the elite edge defenders. Uh, that's something Mackay Beckton has done already. So I have legitimate questions and honestly, the funny part is these questions that I have about Iki Iguanu as a prospect are very similar to the questions I had about Mikai back then. And it comes down to a lot about his ability to pass protect at the next level, uh, you know, run game. We don't have to discuss as a downside. He's just, he's elite everywhere. He's a mauler, you know, that's not an issue, but there really isn't a whole lot of pass sets that I see him take uh, Iguanu. I'm a little concerned about his ability to uh, really kick out and, uh, get out wide and stop speed rushers. That is one big major concern I have. Uh, but I, th- I really think that the, at this I, point, I, are you going to interject on me again? I, I wanted to say the question not was not, would you take Iguanu? I'm saying Iguanu is taken. You can't do anything about it. Do you take the back to trade? That's it. It's not, do you take Iguanu or not? Okay. That's done. Locked in a box, put it away. That happened. Bengals call this. It's such an interesting hypothetical. It's, it's such a hard situation to wrap my mind around. It's a tough question. Um, so I think it has to come down to whether really, if there was a swing tackle that was addressed in free agency in the late tier of free agency, if not, I would, I would, I would have to at least consider keeping him. But it's just, it's so counterproductive. I, I really don't like this situation that I'm in. I understand why people <laughs> are throwing it out, but it's just not a good allocation of resources. I, I, I honest, trust me, there are concerns about me, Makai back then. I foresaw these concerns, honestly, before he was drafted. 
I still would have rather drafted Werfs in that draft personally, but at this point, I think you're just in too deep. I think you just got to stay with Becton. You take a Kikuanu, I think at that point, if you take him, you kind of have to trade Becton. It's just such a hard, it's it's a really it's difficult very... question. I on I I don't foresee this being played out like this at all. And a lot of the a lot of the media members, Connor Rogers, uh, Damian Woody, they all keep saying how this is a potential outcome, and it may be fluid, like they like they have said earlier, but. I just really can't see it happening. If if they really have a big problem with how Mackay Becton has been developing as a prospect and whether he has lost his motivation, I think that's something you address in the next offseason, as horrible as it sounds. But the Jets have filled a lot of holes in free agency so far. They filled four big areas of need, but... The, the thing that really sucks about being such a bad team is that there are still a lot of holes in this team that need to be addressed. And I think take taking another tackle at four, it's just, it's too counterproductive in my opinion, especially with a, a, an edge class that's yes, it is deep, but if you look at the hit rates outside of the first round on edge rushers, they are, it takes, a, it takes a big drop off a cliff compared to first round edge rushers. So everyone keeps saying, fine, wait until day, day two to draft an edge. But you, ha- you have an opportunity at four to take either Kayvon Thibodeau or Jermaine Johnson. And I, and I think both players are certainly certainly capable of being the number four overall pick. And I think they should both be uh, fourth uh, number four overall picks in this draft. So I just – I don't understand why you would want to take Ikeguanu at number four if you already have Becton – and Fant, especially with Fant playing left side, which he looked elite at, and Becton going to right side, which is traditionally more of a of a run mauler spot on the offensive line. Yeah, that was, I agree that, with was that. A, that, that was a very long winded answer, and, and yeah. I'm glad I finally approached it. But saying, what do you think? I agree. I don't take a Guanu period. Realistically, like I, I don't. I don't take a lineman in the first 38 picks. If you take the Guanu, I think you have to trade back in. Like you said, I don't think there's much of a way around that. And I, and the, the thing that really bothers me is that in the scenario that you laid out, the Jets lose all of their leverage in any trade negotiations because teams know that you really are forced into trading Mackay back then if you take a Guanu. So, well, I think it's it's one of those things that would be predetermined. It's like, oh, if you guys draft a Guanu, would you want to give us back then? And they're like, for our first round pick, like, oh, yeah. Yes, but right. know, there's. Right, but that's not that's not words. that's not how you frame the question, though. I understand. Right? Yeah, like we we can't back ourselves out after a question was framed in a certain way because you said Ikeguano was already taken. Do you do you consider taking the uh, pick number thirty in the draft for him? Yeah, you're right. It's, you're you're kind of are back into a corner at that point, but yeah, I um you have to kind of move back in. And at that point, I would argue that you probably aren't getting the number 30 overall pick if you're that back into a corner. You're probably getting at best a second rounder, maybe even a third, which really would hurt, honestly. So it, with all that being said, I I would prefer not to take Icky at all at number four. I know a lot of fans would love to build a super offensive line, but it's just not a good allocation of resources. Get your edge rusher at four. Just I agree. There, there's just be no question about it. And if both edges and in a weird parallel universe where 
Jermaine Johnson and Kayvon Thibodeau and Hutchinson are gone for the first three picks, which if that happens, uh, I don't even know what I would do, but stop watching the draft, turn it off. Yeah. In a, in a world like that, I would probably still take sauce over Iki Iguano. It just, it doesn't make sense. I get the whole best player available, but at a certain point you have to draft for need as well. And Jermaine Johnson, these edge rushers, they are damn good players as well. So you're talking about, in my opinion, a very slight difference in terms of these players' grades. And it's not enough for me to take Ikeguanu at number four. Okay, good answer. Sorry, that was really long. It was really long. It added about another 10 minutes to this podcast. So that, that was a very good question, you saying. Okay, well, that should do it. Nobody signed anywhere, anywhere else yet, so. Yeah, I guess after our, uh, after our one episode where we broke some news it, it kind of slowed down a lot unfortunately but on that note never, guys we're never you, gonna break anything again uh, don't say that don't don't wish that upon us upon this podcast but on that note guys thank you for listening this wraps up our summary of day two of the free agency for the new york jets we are very happy with the signings that we have made today including the one that we haven't mentioned today nathan shepherd yeah lot, actually i wanted to say a mccagden um, holdover Nathan Shepard is the only person that Mike McCagan drafted who got a second contract from the Jets. That just goes to show how, how and why the Jets are so bad to this day. To, and McCagan was a GM from 2015 to 2019, which is insanity. But as I've said, that's going to wrap up the, the day two free agency summary video. So we hope that you enjoyed listening to us. We hope that you agree with us or disagree with us. Honestly, it's more fun when people disagree with us. So conversation, yeah, conversation and different ideas are, are good things in life. So we hope that you can check out our Twitter page. We are at Revis underscore butthead. Uh, like I said, in the last episode, the cover photo is very beautiful. I put a lot of effort into it. So if you do click on our photo. profile, at least open up the, the profile picture and just admire it for a couple seconds and show some uh, love show some love that's that's all that's all we could ever ask for and on that note let's really hope that the jets can continue to make good good moves in free agency and the next step is the draft so april is very close to upon us and we are very excited on the ride the roller coaster of a rookie season for uh for zach wilson so on that note peace out jets nerds Mm -hmm.